Hey guys, welcome to episode 10 where we talk to Jamal Johnson from Black on Black Reviews. So what's interesting about this episode is that we recorded at 2 o'clock on the same day as the George Floyd protests across the nation. So it was very interesting to see where the topic went when we didn't know what was going to happen. Hey guys, Allison here. Just a disclaimer, you're not going to hear a lot from me in this episode because honestly, I was in shock. I didn't know a lot about what was being discussed and just a lot of insight and a lot of knowledge dropped. This wasn't originally the first episode that we were planning on releasing as our first podcast episode, but after having the conversation, we felt that it was relevant and really important for others to hear about what we talked about. Please excuse any audio technical difficulties as you're listening. I feel like I personally have learned a lot. So have a listen and walk it out with us. All right. Hey, guys, and welcome to Walk It Out with Yen and Allison, the best fake podcast on earth. Come walk it out with us as we deep dive into the big five work, school, family, friends, relationships, life and fun with our guests. All right, so on today's show, we have Jamal, the founder of Black on Black Reviews. Welcome, Jamal. He is one of the the best person I know on earth. We have a lot of good conversations at our work, so it's really nice to have you here, Jamal. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here. With the given recent events, I kind of want to talk a little bit about George Floyd and like how it relates back to what you're doing, Black on Black Reviews, right? That sounds good. It all is kind of interconnected in one way or another. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Why don't you just start us out and tell us like what inspired you to get to the Black on Black Reviews? All right. So uh, basically, uh, I knew that reviewing products had a value. I don't know what that value is still. But I knew it because every time I bought something online from Amazon, from Foot Locker, from any online uh, shopping experience, they send you an email asking you to give a review. If you make a phone call, they want you to rate the customer service experience that you had. Um, So because I buy so many products from black-owned businesses, and I kind of go in blind because uh, there's not like a ton of Yelp reviews. Some of the companies are small on like Etsy and stuff. Uh, I figured it would be valuable to the culture to kind of have a centralized like place where they can go get some honest feedback about products that we have no idea like how they work. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's super cool. So why is it so important for the black community to, you know, keep the money in in the community? First of all, the black dollar just don't last uh, long being exchanged amongst uh, black people. I believe the stat was six hours. Was that right? Yeah, it's crazy. I have a stat here. It says that the the Asian dollar stays within their community 28 days, the white 21 days, Jewish 23 days, and the black dollar stays only for six hours. Like, that's not even a day. Sounds, <laughs> it sounds about right. And I think uh, that maybe in part being able to patron like non-black-owned businesses at a time like that was the goal it was like when they were fighting for equality and equal rights it was like i should be able to shop where i want spend my money where i want you shouldn't make me have to go to a black-owned diner and once um black people were able to were able to have access to all these other places it was like a, a trophy or something like it made them feel good like yeah i could shop where white people could shop and you can't tell me nothing but it ended up being like uh detrimental in the long run I guess just one of the unintended consequences. What would it take for that economy to come back? It's a lot of uh, small black owned businesses. I think the main key is like uh, manufacturing and distribution like hubs. I think that will have to become accessible to black people somehow. A lot of the businesses, like the mainstream businesses are kind of monopolized. So you got to do business with the same companies, the same corporations if you want to get large-scale distribution and end up in some of these big stores, so it's just not feasible. 
And what, what I found in my experience is that you got to go out of your way to find Black-owned product. And then you have to really be committed to supporting it because of the manufacturing and distribution. It makes the cost of the product way more. So I can go get, I don't know, whatever main brand barbecue sauce from the grocery store for maybe four bucks, two fifty yeah. if they're having a sale. But if I want to yeah. buy a black owned, I got to pay about $10 a bottle because they're making wow. it themselves and shipping it themselves. So you got to really be committed. That's a, that's a big price difference. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. So then do you only yeah, use um, black products then exclusively or is it just you have a mix? We we don't exclusively use black-owned products, but we integrate as many black-owned products as we can. And because I have a family of seven, me, my wife, and five kids, we have to get the good deals and bargains and get the yeah. mainstream stuff. Oh, yeah. But as much as we can, we go out of our way to support some black-owned products. That's so interesting that you go out of your way to try to work in the black owned products into your family. So like for people who are looking for black owned products, where can they find these products? Um, it's a great Instagram account called webuyblack.com. They've been a huge resource. My Instagram, black on black reviews, uh, um, and you get concerted effort. It just don't happen. You, you may have to just Google black owned products. Uh, but I, I have been fortunate enough to find black owned deodorant brands, toothpaste, toothbrushes, of course, clothing, things like batteries. I post on my page the Tupman rechargeable batteries product that you wouldn't, it wouldn't come to mind. It's a black owned joint, but it is. So you really got to look for it. Man. Can I, can I ask you, do you guys have to, do you have to go out of your way to find, uh, to support Asian-owned businesses or find products owned by people in your same culture or is it an afterthought? Mm, there's actually a lot of um, Asian markets that are around here so it's not like we really have to go out of our way to to find the products so I feel like it's, it's a lot more accessible for us. Yeah, especially since everything's like manufactured in China so then if you go that route then pretty much anything in America is already like supporting some kind of Asian business, right? Yeah, very yeah. true. Yeah, so then I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> <laughs> so then that that makes it easier for us. But and that's probably why the, the Asian dollar stays in the community for so much longer than the other, you know, communities, mm -hmm. right? Do is there a, I was I was gonna ask, is there a thing between the Asian community and police officers? Or is that like unique people? Yeah. Hold on, let me try unplugging this. Give me one second. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah, yeah smoother now. Yeah. Uh huh. Can you hear us? Okay. okay. There we go. I can. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah, you were asking about the. Okay. So, yeah, I was asking about uh, what's the like predominant relationship between the Asian community and police officers? Is there like a thing, either positive or negative, or is it just a relationship that's like not even up for discussion? I can only speak for myself because uh, I can't speak for the whole Asian community because we're very diverse. You know, every community has their own opinion on police and law enforcement. But from my standpoint, I, I noticed that from a very young age, we're taught to listen to authority, right, culturally. So then whenever we see a police officer, we're more likely to kind of like, okay, yes, sir, and just move on with it. And then we get lumped in into the whole Asian minority thing. So then we're like, oh, there's just a, an Asian person walking. He's not going to harm anybody. They'll probably pull us over for uh, yeah. driving poorly, but you know. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah, that's <laughs> not immune to racism. No, not at all. I get it. I'm sure. It's uh, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say because you, you brought up law enforcement, right? The thing that's going on right now with George Floyd and how he was murdered by Derek Chauvin, that's crazy. Dude, it's a. Uh... It's a weird, I'm in a weird place. And um, again, I only can represent my own experiences, but his name is one of just a billion people on the list. Uh, black men has just been beat, tortured, abused, or murdered at the hands of the police. So it's just a never ending list and she, the paper that just keeps going on forever. I do like that 
this is getting so much public attention and it's being kind of a lightning rod for discussion so that hopefully it can affect change at some point. But for black people, this is like a regular occurrence and a repeated tragedy. I, I don't know any black people that in 2020 are surprised by this. But like I said, I like that nationally, this is a, a point of discussion and that people's antennas are up, but black people have been dealing with this and knowing what it is for a very long time. So it's just another tragedy, but I don't know what it looks like to you guys, but I'm kind of traumatized. Me and all of my, my friends, we so tired of seeing black people get killed on the internet that I don't know what to do or how to process it. It's like a different kind of a trauma. A lot of people right now in America are seeing this for the first time. Will Smith was quoted to say, hey, uh, racism always existed, but now it's being filmed. So a lot of people are seeing stuff that they've never seen before. And it's like really opening up everybody's eyes to what's going on with the system and how black Americans are being treated by police officers. And it's crazy, right? It, it is. It's weird. It makes me think like rap music is the biggest genre of music in American pop culture right now, right? right it makes yes. me think like, so for all these years, do people just think like rappers was like lying or just tripping or something? So like <laughs> you think of fuck the police, uh, the breaks by Curtis Blow. It's just like people been saying the police been whooping their ass for a very long time. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's just, it's always trippy to see America's reaction on a grand scale to something that's kind of been like the inside common knowledge forever. Like I, I don't, I'm, I'm 35 and I don't remember a time where like the police was cool. <laughs> like, it's always been like shitty situations with black people cops. Oh man. Is it true that like for you as a black man or a black father actually, you, you have to teach your kid to like watch out and like know how to act around law enforcement? That That is a fact. Every responsible parent has that conversation um, with their black kids, little brothers, nephews, because there's an inherent bias that comes with black people and the police. I don't know what it is. If anybody disagree with me, I could send you a hundred videos and probably 10 minutes of the police just whooping people ass for no reason. Like, um, like the one you just sent me earlier uh, today. I would like, yes, dude uh, uh, pulled over. He put his hands up. He turned around. The cop ran up to him and kicked him in the back. And because the dude didn't fall, he turned around like, what the hell? They all rushed and jumped on top of him, started grabbing him, saying he was resisting arrest. It turns out that it was the wrong person. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't have an arrest warrant out for him. And they just jumped him for no reason. Stuff like that is weird. Like for other cultures, they experience the cops being cops and doing cop stuff. But for a lot of minorities, the cops take this thug and like goon stance where they just want to immediately walk up and start fighting or grabbing on you or punching on you. And it gets weird. Like I'd, I'd love a good customer service experience with the cops, but unfortunately that's not what it is. It turns into like grabbing and shit. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big black dude. So they have some kind of like fear walking up to me. I get pulled over for like, running a stop sign where you kind of stop but you keep going California, which is yeah. like a minor traffic infraction and they walk up with their guns out and pointed at me to ask for a license or like just regular shit that seems like it could be handled in a in an amicable way it just the aggression level goes up to 10. yeah it just so escalates until so that happened for sure and that's why a lot of people in the black community again i'm not speaking for all black people yeah. but really have a problem with the police. I don't like cops and I'm not a criminal. I've never been arrested for anything and I I really don't like the police. I've only had bad experiences. The excessive force is like crazy. I don't understand where the disproportionate level of force goes towards the black man versus like anybody else. We see all the time all these uh, school shooters who get arrested escorted out with a uh oh, yeah. with a bulletproof vest on them so that way they don't get shot on the way to the cop car uh-huh. 
But then you have uh, George Floyd who yeah, is gasping for air for eight minutes. Dude, the, these conversations are important. And what I would encourage my non-black friends to do is what you guys are doing and just have a conversation about it. When you see your family members or relatives post racist stuff on Facebook or on Instagram or these weird, like, he should have just listened and then he wouldn't have got choked out and all that, like, call them out on it and have yeah. that conversation and ask questions. I, I encourage that dialogue to happen because us as civilians, we can't really do much, but just having allies of other races kind of um, confirm that we're not crazy in the way we're perceiving this shit, uh, no. it goes a very long way when you get that, that validation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I think a lot of times, yeah, there's there's a lot of stigma and just like not really knowing how to go about, you know, talking about it. And I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with it. But, you know, it's one of those conversations where even though it's uncomfortable, like it does have to be talked about. Yeah. And I, I support that 100 percent. It is uncomfortable. But for me, and maybe it's confirmation bias, but don't have to look far to see evidence of what's going on so just maybe uh if you're not a confrontational person just maybe ask questions that can lead the people who are non-believers on the other side of this to like come to their own conclusions because it's not even it's not even controversial in the sense of like what's right or wrong there's like a guy handcuffed laying on the ground was suffocating yeah so there's it's not much to to debate what should he have done different dude for for all those people that say I, I don't know if you saw but the mayor of one of the minnesota cities were like well if you're saying that you can't breathe then you're breathing that's bullshit yeah that's uh even working in education and being restraint trained you know that that's not the case um right. It's, it's obvious, like, he's got his knee on his neck. So right. uh, there's not a lot of wiggle room, but there, there's people where their bias will prevent them from ever admitting the truth. That's why I'm not on Facebook, is because after uh, Trayvon Martin yeah. got murdered by George Zimmerman and was acquitted, I couldn't handle all the people like, kind of like, well, you gotta see it from Zimmerman's point of view. It was like infuri infuriating to the point where, uh, I was like, oh man, I was I was really internet beefing on Facebook because of the racism going <laughs> up, and I, I had to get off Facebook, so I'm not on there now. So I'm sure in this case too, there's going to be a lot of people defending the action of the police because they always find a way to justify mm -hmm. their perspective. There's always uh, two sides to every story, but it seems like if you're on the cop side this time around, you're on the wrong side of history. The protests and the the demonstrations and of solidarity that's going on all over the United States is like it's really crazy to see. I feel like it's almost reminiscent of like the civil rights movement in a in a way, but it feels like everybody's being moved. Mm -hmm. I I love to see it materialize into like one cohesive agenda, but right now this is a the top coming off and a lot of venting is going on and it's a lot of frustration and a lot of people being upset and um, with this happening as a result of that because uh, it's not just the police uh, murdered somebody the other part is he wasn't charged with anything and then all the riot and all the protest and all that started then he was arrested so now the, push is, now, now the push is for his colleagues to be arrested that were also kneeling on his body yeah. Uh, but it's just, this is civil unrest. This is what happens, and I hope it's the precursor to change. You're telling me that, like, four grown men who have one man handcuffed can't just, like, step off? Even if the guy runs away, you can catch him. Mm -hmm. Dude, it's... Yeah, it's it's murder. It's murder. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, that this leads to some kind of significant change. I've seen a bunch of post about how it takes seven years to become a lawyer and eight months to become a cop. Mm -hmm. um, there's truth to that. They need to be better trained. Mm -hmm. There's a, a lack of representation in the neighborhoods that are being policed. I went to a Black Lives Matter meeting shortly after, I forget which uh, police murder it was, but it was after 
uh, another event that made national headlines of a cop killing a black man. Blanking on the name, but it was a guy in New Orleans who was like selling CDs or DVDs and the police ended up shooting him. But I went to a meeting there and we were talking to the chief of like the Pasadena Police Department or something like that. Okay. And uh, he was asking for solutions. One of the solutions I suggested is that they recruit kids from these communities to be police officers so that they can have a career and speak the language of the people in their own neighborhood. And his response was, he thinks that in minority neighborhoods, being a cop is viewed as uncool and you'd be looked at as a snitch. So that's why they don't set up recruiting programs in a neighborhood. And my response to him was, no one thinks it's cool to go to the army and die for your country and not have any control over your own life or your own destiny. But in my high school, which is in South Central LA, and all the other inner city schools across America, they have recruiters, have tables to recruit seniors straight from high school. So before your credit is bad, before you get a criminal record, before anything, you go straight from high school, they work out with you while you're still a senior, and you go straight from high school, to the Marines or to the Army. Or, so, and it's not because people think it's cool, it's because it's a way out of poverty or an yeah. opportunity to get your life together. So I, I responded the same way the military recruits in poor neighborhoods. The police departments could too, and kids will sign up for the opportunity not to be a hero. And it's no, no disrespect to the military, but yeah. I don't know anyone personally that joined the military because they love America and they want to be a hero. Everybody I know, and again, I'm only speaking for me, everybody I know personally that joined the military, joined it to take advantage of the opportunities that come with serving in the military. Uh, being to get school paid for, to travel to see the world, to yeah. get a, a home loan once you get out. All honorable things, but they saw it as an opportunity. So I'm sure that uh, if the sheriff departments or the police departments uh, presented those same opportunities that come with being a cop, yeah. that are presented with being an armed forces, you get a lot more minorities in law enforcement. Good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. I do. I mean, I like boycott coming up. I believe it is June 7th. Do you, do you have the date down? But it was proposed by TI. And the plan is for black people to simply not participate in the economy on that day. So don't spend any money on anything just not participate in that economy, uh, in the U.S. economy that day to kind of show America the value of the black dollar and that we matter too. We participate in the economy, we pay taxes, we, yeah. we should be heard and better represented. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely, I'm gonna support that. I'm gonna participate. I'm gonna tell everybody I know to support it. Allison actually has the direct quote from TI, so she can mm -hmm. read it out so that way everybody can hear it real quick. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, so, and it, I guess it is July 7th, right? Yep. Yeah, so July 7th, uh, 2020. So this is a call to action. We need one day of solidarity in America when not one black person in America spends a dollar. This includes Africans, Native Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanics, all people of color. Together we have $3.9 trillion in economic spending power. That's $10,684,931,506.80. It's going to cost per day next time a person of color gets shot. We will call it hashtag Blackout Day 2020 July 7th, 2020. Please spread the message and let's show real action that they fear. Perfect. I mean, that that's a, a call to action that... I think we'll yield results because everything changes once you hit them in the wallet. Definitely. So, uh, I believe in the power of a boycott. We've seen it hurt, uh, work in history before with the Montgomery bus boycott. We also saw Cesar Chavez and Larry Intilong, the great boycott in California. That worked out. So now, more than ever, I think we should all definitely participate in this. Yeah, for sure. It, I mean, it's effective. That's when uh, you get the powers that be to listen is when you hit them in the wallet because that seems to be all that matters. Well, another thing that I would like to add to like, that line of discussion is that I don't know what you guys' perception of Black Lives Matter is, but I want to just 
tell you that the best thing that political figures could do is to negotiate at the table with Black Lives Matter. The news portrays Black Lives Matter as a way different group than it actually is. It's not a radical group. It's not a violent group. It's not a militant group. It's actually very, very well-educated kids, well-educated adults, a big like college-level movement. It's very diverse. And they are a solution-oriented group. And they focus on policy and affect and change via policy. So never once has Black Lives Matter uh, promoted violence. Never once have they promoted retaliation. They're like a super peaceful group. And I think that misconception is like damaging for both sides of the argument. Because what, what I'd like everybody to understand is that they're the good guys. And America don't want to deal with the people who are too angry to be in Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's the that's, that's where the rage comes from and it's not focused on having a diplomatic discourse back and forth. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. pure rage and violence. So anybody out there that hears this, I would encourage to like look into what Black Lives Matter is because I know you the hashtag is popular. Yeah, very and popular. Mm-hmm. Any riots or anything happens on TV with yeah. black people. Anytime <laughs> anything happens on the news, fires, riots, yeah. freeway shut down, anything turns violent, you see Black Lives Matter across the bottom of the screen. And that's not at all what they represent. So mm. I figured it would fit into this thread of the conversation. Kind of mention it because I really want people of other races and other cultures to have like a better idea of what Black Lives Matter is. Definitely important. Yeah. I know the media can uh, portray different people differently, and mm-hmm. most of the time it's to benefit themselves. Um, like, not all Muslims are terrorists, right? Not all Asian people have coronavirus and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, so. absolutely. And it's like, I forget which comedian said it, but it's like the most passive name ever is Black Lives Matter. It's just like, hey, I want to be polite. I'd like to have a conversation with you. And you start with the premise that Black Lives Matter. It's not even called like Black Revenge or the Return of... <laughs> and it's yeah. like super cordial. Yeah, <laughs> hey, super I'm not exactly. Cordial. Yeah. <laughs> and it's smart. It like sums it up very nicely. Black Lives Do Matter because yeah. I know growing up Asian, we get kind of lost in the mix when it comes to like the talk of race and stuff like that because we get that minor minority almost model minority thing right so then our quality of life won't get any better until black lives get better yeah and i think um that's important because like i don't know if there's a study or a metric for it but i'm willing to to risk it all that (laughs) nine out of ten racists that don't like black people also don't like asian people or hispanic people either like yeah it, that's a pretty it's, safe bet yeah so we're all lumped in in the same boat in that sense you you know what is interesting the model minority stereotype is yeah. like it's weird to see it from like a black person's point of view i've always thought of asian people as like the, the good at math stereotype yeah. And in my neighborhood, it was all the business owners. I see. So uh-huh. I never had like uh, Asian coworkers. They were always like the, the shopkeeper, the store's owner, the store owner's son. But it was always like almost like a different world in South Central where they didn't have the same problems that we had because um, all uh, we had a few Indian kids and a few Asian kids and they almost existed on another planet. They didn't even have the gang problems. They didn't have the social problems that we had. They, like, like you said, almost were like invisible yeah. in in that community or in that sense. It's uh, so strange. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's really bizarre, right? It's bizarre. Um, get lost in the shuffle. It's almost like a backhanded compliment. It's like, hey, you're the best of the minorities. <laughs> you're not one of us. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're not one of us, but you're not like one of them, I guess, either. So we're yeah. like in the weird in between. This is how everybody should act. They should just mind their own business, take care of their own <laughs> shit, and then, you know, get out of my way. <laughs> yeah. I like you guys. Now shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty yeah, much. It's, uh, it's a trip. And you guys, um, Correct me if I'm wrong, Allison, you grew up with more of a Japanese influence in your childhood? 
Mm, honestly, I feel like so I'm I'm like fourth generation in Japanese, so I feel like I grew up more American, like more white, I guess you can say, than Japanese. Mm. So there's like a little mix of both in there, but definitely a lot more white, I guess you could say. Really? So culturally, the things you grew up with were the same thing like uh, an average uh, white kid in Orange County would grow up with, not mm -hmm. necessarily deep in Japanese culture. Yeah, I mean, there, there's like bits and pieces, you know, of like Japanese culture, like certain holidays that will celebrate. But a lot of, you know, like I went to school with a lot of white kids. The majority of my high school was like all white. Um, some some Asians here and there, but a lot of them mostly were white. So I feel like culturally, I, I kind of was immersed in that. How, how prevalent is like, I guess, Japanese culture in your everyday life? Like, did you grow up seeing a, a flag from Japan in your household or did you? grow up with uh, I don't know different designers or, or symbols I mean, we do we do have like um these Japanese like dolls and Japanese you know dishes and stuff like that that we have up in the house and like a family crest but it wasn't ever anything where it was like oh, okay there's our flag if if anything I almost feel like the Japanese kind of had to prove they were more white instead of Japanese I guess that's how I felt like with my family mm, that, that's super interesting man and um, mm -hmm. I always talk to Yin about his dad and uh, I had the pleasure of reading his dad's book. Being a countless number of generations removed from Africa, that's like, man, my, my friends and I like crave a connection of any kind to a country of origin. Um, yeah. It was interesting to see the, um, how, I guess it kind of not matters the more generations it goes down, but maybe at some point, like your kids' kids or great-great-great-grandkids would be like, man, I just want to go go to Japan and get in touch <laughs> with my roots, sir. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, that's, I mean, I wish I had been more involved in that, for sure. Well, it's not I'm too late. Now. You can yeah. yeah. It's a big community. Big game. That's true. Yeah. That's true. What was it like for you, uh, Jamal, to like grow up without the country of origin? I know, I, I feel like America split up into two. There's like a black America and a white America culture and everything but you said you were longing for something yeah it was uh but that that came once i got a little bit older my whole like my childhood was uh grew up south central la but my mother spent most of her childhood and all my older relatives are from baton rouge louisiana oh, so nice. mm. as a little kid um i guess i imagine louisiana as as the homeland like one day i'm gonna get older and I'm going to go to my homeland. I'm going to learn about my roots. Uh, but that's just because that's where my grandmother was from, my great-grandfather, and um, where my mom spent a lot of her childhood. But as I got older and had a more well-rounded perspective of the world, that's when I started like understanding that, oh, Louisiana is not my hometown or country of origin. That's just where my ancestors settled after slavery. Jeez. <laughs> There's like a, a real hometown, hometown. Yeah. Um, so I think for the average black man who goes to some sort of like higher education, you go through a period of awakening where you're like suddenly introduced to African-American studies or black history. You just want to know more about it. You want to know everything. Every single like piece of information you like soak up like a sponge and then it kind of starts to reflect in your life in different ways. And um, I see a lot of people go in that phase and then come out of it. And then I see a lot of people stay in it. And I think I kind of stayed in that phase of like always wanting more knowledge and always digging deeper. And even now, like my, my kids will be able to tell you like, oh, look at George Washington on the dollar bill. Did you know he had slave teeth in his mouth when he took that? Bill? <laughs> <That's> oh, <laughs> little like random stuff like that. I, and yeah, that's true. He, George Washington didn't have wooden teeth like I learned in school. Those were slaves' teeth. Oh. Little things like that are like facts that I make sure my kids grow up aware of and conversations we have. It's just, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting to a point where as much as I want to learn about my African ancestry and tap into that, uh, where I'm starting to accept uh, Black American culture as its own experience and as its own thing to not readily dismiss in exchange for African culture. So um, I'm still in my my transitional phase, I guess, or a growth process. Yeah, it's never one thing, right? 
Yeah, yeah. always growing, always like learning yeah, along mm-hmm. the way, right? Yeah, always evolving. Mm-hmm. That's the cool thing about America, I think, for sure. Everybody can just kind of come here and forge their own journey for the most part, yeah. even with all the the negative things that are happening and stuff like that but mm-hmm. everybody's got their own experience i mean just speaking to you right now your experience is so unique compared to allison and then mm-hmm. also my own experience where like we're, we're both asian but mm-hmm. then our experience are like completely different right and then you are would you be considered a first generation american or second generation yeah i guess it depends on how you look at it so my dad he could be first generation American because he came here first, but I would be like first generation born American. Okay. Yeah, so it just depends on how you want to look at it. Um, Dude, that's a trip. It is a trip. A cool trip. <laughs> a crazy trip. My people don't know this, but when they find out, they're like, "What?" Uh, Jamal read the book. My dad wrote a book about his escape from Vietnam mm-hmm. on foot. So like he went from Vietnam to Cambodia, through Cambodia to Thailand on foot, like just dodging the the Vietnamese communist people and like dressing as like the, the enemy and like just hiding ducking and he made his way out to Thailand to get a refugee in Philippines right mm-hmm. then he came over here and that's why I'm here crazy I, yep. when I was that is up, insane man. that is like that's crazy <laughs> I, I can't fathom it because when I gave you the book before I gave you the book I, I read it one more time just to you know refresh my memory because before that, I read it when I was a kid. I didn't know too much about it. But when I was reading, I'm like, dude, my dad was like maybe two or three years younger than I was when he was doing this. And oh like, I'm here sitting at home, like talking to you through Zoom, you know, being all comfortable. Yeah. I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's crazy. But it's also like you have like firsthand experience of like anything being possible. Yeah. Like there's there's no limitations on the possibilities. And like right now, like, the age group is like 18 to 35 is not like super religious, hmm. but that like, that feels like it's got like the fingerprints of like divinity. In it. Like that's, that's insane because it don't make sense for your dad's story to like be possible. Like he should have died a bunch of times. Yeah, definitely. Because, because like there's so many people who died trying to do what he did that like, and they went, not the, be a, they, a they went the safer route too. They like, try to go by boat or they, they try to went mm-hmm. by plane but here he is like walking through the countryside and like hey communists try to take me down <laughs> but then that's Dude, like my, that's like a miracle it is a miracle yeah my dad was a teacher in vietnam before he left and he was actively trying to teach his students like hey you know this is not good this is not how life should be lived and it's like that mm-hmm. what are we fighting for so then once the word got out, then he had to make a run for it to get to America. And it's a crazy story. I know. Like, I'm just like, it's, I'm tripped out nuts. right now. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. I, I'm going to call him later. <laughs> yeah, you got to nice. uh, get him on here and interview him. You got to figure <laughs> oh, out a way to, to yeah. let people uh, read his story because it's, it's not even like a part of my, my heritage or my bloodline. And I was super inspired by, uh, you know, my reaction was like, I was blown away. I, I couldn't believe it yeah i was like this dude in this book is like still alive like that that's who you're going to go chill with on sunday <laughs> yeah oh my gosh very dope man yeah uh, I, I encourage you to find a way to get people to be able to read it to access it. it's a it's a trippy story and it's a it's an easy read grammatically so you can read it fast but the concept like at least embracing the concept is so deep man that it's a it's a weird combination of the two of being like easy to read and also like heavy mentally like to digest it all so uh i I really i really like it and was inspired by by your dad's story thank you so shout out to your dad thank you thank you i'll we'll try to get him on one of these episodes yeah we should yeah um speaking about family who was your your greatest inspiration when you were growing up as a kid uh, I have a cousin, Tyron, Tyron uh, James Lett, who uh, in 1999 got sentenced to 31 years in prison. He was uh, just a few years older than me, maybe five years older than me. He was a big, like, I guess mentor, like I looked up to him, and then seeing him fall into the trap and the mistakes he made, and just think that that forever changed him because he wasn't a bad guy, and he got sentenced to 31 years in prison for a silly mistake. 
31 years. Jeez. Wow. 31 years. Uh, Rob the liquor stand. God. Um, that's a well if you watch biden interviews a lot of black interviews press him about the crime bill and mandatory minimums and drug laws all the stuff that he wrote in the 80s and then all the way up to like 94 or something yeah the three strikes law all of that stuff yeah Mm -hmm. um he was a part of that and he gets pressed on it now and what he brings up is that at the time it was a black guy could do a crime and get 20 years a white guy do the exact same crime and get two years plus probation. Mm-hmm. So they made these mandatory minimums to try to stop that from happening. At least according to them, they had good intentions. Again, to the unintended consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened is it took away the wiggle room for the judge to use discretion to give a lighter sentence or a heavier sentence. And it didn't solve the racial inequality in the justice system because it went from two, the same crime to different sentences yeah. to the same crime, different charges. Prosecutors just started charging black people with the harsher of the options that they have to charge people with. So it actually, it didn't fix anything either. Jeez. So oh if I punch you in the face, it could be anywhere from like a simple assault to attempted murder. And depending on your race, yeah. it'll be attempted murder if I punch you. And if white guy punch you, maybe a simple assault or a public disturbance or something. So that affected the sentencing and my cousin, uh, bringing it back to my cousin, he was um, a loser in the justice system as a part of that. He had a gun with him, discharged the firearm. Mm. So it's like mandatory 10 years per bullet, non-negotiable, non-flexible, uh, reckless and dangerous. It's all kind of... Yeah, that's huh? nuts. They, uh, they, yeah. they give years based on how many bullets gets discharged? 10 per bullet. And yeah, California has very, very tough gun laws. My gosh. And I don't want to black you to death, but California gun laws are only so strict because of the Black Panthers. That's a fun fact. California used to be like um, all the states in the South where you go walk around with rifles and big guns strapped onto your back. (laughs) Uh, I I can't imagine that. (laughs) It it used to be like that. If you watch the Minnesota protests, it's like it's people walking around with big guns attached to them. Uh, You see that in, in some of the Dallas protests. It's like I guess white business owners protecting their business. They have like a version of a militia where they all have their big guns and they walk around protecting their store and it's legal. Well, it used to be legal in California. Black Panthers went up to the nation's capital, famous picture of a whole bunch of Black Panthers with leather jackets and guns uh, at the state's capital. And immediately after that, gun laws in California changed. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's all connected, but uh, Watching my cousin take that L, uh, I learned I learned a lot from that, and it helped me navigate through life. I I don't know. It's it's so crazy because when we talk and we exchange all these stories and stuff like that, it can go off on so many tangents. Like just the fact that you know someone that went to prison for thirty one year is like mind blowing to me mm-hmm. as an Asian American, because I don't know many people who got sent to jail. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like going through my Rolodex right now in my brain, and I can't think of maybe like one uncle or something like that went to jail because he was drunk. But uh-huh. like, yeah. it's that's crazy. Yeah, wow. he's uh he's on my my Instagram page. He's supposed to get out some point in the next five years. So from '99 to 2020 is uh, 21 years somewhere around there. So he's been. Locked up a long time, still alive. Uh, he's a, a regular fixture in, in my life. Um, That's nice, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a trip. It's a weird reality. So him getting 31 years at a best friend in high school, randomly got five years on um, Mother's Day weekend, Jeez. right before graduation. So he got arrested in May and never graduated because graduation was in July. So uh, I was blessed to learn from the mistakes of people that I love and care about. And I think that's been the biggest influence um, on my life. It's learning from their mistakes. Got it. Thank you for sharing that, man. Dude, like, there's so much to, like, digest here in this conversation that we're having. I I love it. I love exchanging all this this knowledge between us. And that's been one of the coolest things about uh, meeting you because uh, I didn't grow up with a lot of black people. And... uh, 
So I don't know too much about the black community and stuff like that. I know like one or two black kids, but we're kids, you know, so then everybody's the same, yeah. right? They didn't, they didn't know they were. Yeah, they didn't know they were black yet. Yeah, you're just kids. Yeah, just kids. But then like getting the opportunity to talk to you through work and downtime and stuff like that, it's it's been a really cool learning experience. And I'm glad to have met you. And I want to say thank you for sharing all the stories, dude. Hey, man, feelings mutual. I definitely uh, appreciate getting to know you guys, man. This is dope. Thanks for inviting me on here. I like uh, that I was able to talk to you guys. For sure. Yeah. But before we bounce, I just want to like leave off on a, like a happy note. We usually try to leave off with a game, so that way um, there, there's a lot. Well, there's definitely going to be a part two, Jamal. We're gonna. Yeah. Oh my god. Hey, the sequel. We, we didn't even. <laughs> sequel. Yeah, we didn't even get to get through everything. We didn't. We didn't get to talk to you <laughs> about you know your black and black reviews in depth. You know, it just went on a tangent, and that's. Uh -huh. That's something I love about like just having a conversation that's good. It just goes where it goes, and then you know we'll come back to it later, right? Thank you, man. Yeah. Um, anybody could just check it out. Black on Black reviews on Instagram. I'm getting the uh, phase two is uploading the videos, so uh, I'm starting that in June. Right now, I'm uploading the products, kind of as a preview, and then um, the review videos will be up there. It's gonna be tough, man, because some of the products are like terrible and i gotta kill a black business <laughs> oh, um integrity man like I, I spent my money on it trying it out and it was a bad product and i don't want other people to go to support a black business and get caught in that trap and then generalize that to represent what black businesses are so yeah hey even though i gotta kill another black business to so the next black business lives so it can be stronger there you go mm -hmm. you yeah. got a very you, you got an interesting uh, rating scale like how do you rate your products the five fists Five fists. <laughs> yeah, instead nice. of five stars, it's five fists. So I, I haven't decided. Uh, I think to to participate in that rating scale, the whoever it is that buys the product, because anybody can buy a black owned uh, or buy a product from a black owned business. Yeah. But to participate in the rating scale, I think you're gonna have to change the emoji fist to a black person fist. <laughs> I think it's only right. Um, only fitting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's not, not complicated. It's uh, one fist is a very bad product, and five fist is uh, something that the culture needs and should support and appreciate it, and everything else falls at some, some point uh, at one of those spots in between. So uh, that'll be a little more clear once the videos start coming out. Uh, I'm going to give everything a rating based on a five fist scale, uh, value, quality, and uh, customer service. So... Oh, Looking cool. forward to it. Yeah. yeah so, man. do you want to end this off with a fun game? Uh, yes, let's play the game. All I right. want to win. All right. You want to win? Here we go. So, let's uh, get the music going. <laughs> I got to stop it or else I have to pay copyrights. Right. <laughs> All right, what game okay. do we got up for uh, Jamal? So, Jamal, um, you've got a choice. So we could either do rapid fire questions or this or that. Rapid fire. Rapid fire Ooh, questions. Here we go. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Hit them with the first one. All right, first question. What is more important, truth or happiness? Happiness. Okay, so what superhero power would you want to have? Uh, fly. Fly. <laughs> uh, that's not even true, but I was trying to answer as fast as I can. <laughs> All right. If uh, if animals could talk, which one do you think would be the rudest? Uh, dogs. Okay. They shit anywhere and pee. Every like, come on. <laughs> if you could only eat one thing forever, what would it be? Pizza. Easy call. Mm. What's your spirit animal and why? Uh, a grizzly bear, because I am large and unstoppable. <laughs> mm, uh, nice. What's a guilty pleasure song that you have in your uh, playlist that we don't know about? Uh, guilty pleasure song? Um, oh, uh, Justin Bieber. I really like Baby. Baby, baby, <laughs> baby. Oh, That's a catchy yeah. one. Yep. Yeah, I love that joint. <laughs> All right. If your life was a movie, what actor would play you? Um, damn, I never thought about that because do you guys know who Isaac Hayes is? I do not. 
man, he's an amazing talent from like disco days. I always imagine myself playing uh, Isaac Hayes in the movie or playing Magic Johnson in the movie about Magic Johnson life. But I never thought about <laughs> who would play me. Maybe um um yeah, I don't I don't know. Um oh what's dude name from uh, from the office? <laughs> oh Craig, yes. Craig, Craig Robinson. Robinson. Oh, oh my Craig gosh, Robinson. yes, yes. It would be a comedy, yeah. <laughs> That's a good pick. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Craig Robinson, if you're listening, you we got a new role for you. Yeah, there you go. And the last one we got for you is like, if you woke up, your house is on fire. What's the first three things that you're gonna save, uh, not including family? Uh, I have a car drive with Mall Flicks on it, so I, I would definitely <laughs> grab that. I would grab Mall Flicks. Uh, I would grab my cell phone, and I would grab as much. Um, art that I could because I have a lot of art from some dope black artists and I would uh I would grab some art this one particular picture is uh, uh it was made by it's a lesbian couple and they're both incredible artists and they are called the muses it's like a uh, lady muse and like jay muse and they got a painting of Issa Rae and it says rooting for everybody black on it and that's probably my favorite picture Wow. wow, you're gonna have to Ooh. send us a picture of it so we can post it up for for people to see. I, I grabbed it. Uh huh. And then with that, I think we're gonna send you off. So this is your chance to um, shout out to anybody that you need to shout out. Shout out all your handles and stuff like that. So have at it, sir. Uh, shout out to hip hop. Shout out to Raquel. Uh, shout out to uh, to Sky. Shout out to all the kids. Shout out to you guys for inviting me on. Shout out to all minorities all over the world. Black people. Oh, you gonna you gonna get me dancing. I can't even get <laughs> This my don't make me cry, man. I moonwalk over the sky and shed a tear. <laughs> there you go. But, Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks guys. It's Thanks, been so fun. We learned so much today. That's uh walk it out with Yen and Allison. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jamal. <laughs> <laughs>